0: And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I want to thank everyone who has listened to previous episodes, and hope that you'll consider telling your friends. And please rate the podcast for me. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Egan and Dan Gargan. You're Atlanta United play-by-play man and commentator. For Fox Sports South, they will call Saturday's game between Atlanta United and Nashville at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, Kickoff is at 7 p.m. You can also listen to it on the radio at 92.9. But considering that no one can go to the game uh, because of the rules to try to mitigate the spread of COVID, I assume most of you are going to be watching Kevin and Dan's excellent work on Fox Sports South. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for joining me on the podcast today. So, okay. Kevin, Dan, how many days has it been since you've seen each other and gotten to work together?
1: I'm not counting, to be honest, but it's exactly 168 <laughs> days. i seeing the handsome face of Dan Gargan and those sculpted abs. Cannot wait to be in his presence and get, get that beautiful musk smell off him. <laughs> like, uh,
2: the sultry tones of Kevin Egan feels more like 16 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it'll be good to be back. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I honestly, I, I can't wait. It's been a long, a long layoff and, uh, catching some of these games that are back in stadium and with, with kind of the, the camera angles that, that we're used to and, and the feel and it it'll feel a little bit different, but it's still going to be a lot closer to, to normalcy, which I, I'm looking forward to.
0: I was just trying to think if anyone in the press box had sculpted abs and I can't think of a single person that might have that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so A lot has happened since uh, I've seen y'all in person last, uh, particularly with Atlanta United. We're going to have uh, a new interim manager in his first game with the team on Saturday. That's Stephen Glass. What are y'all expecting to see from the team under Glass on Saturday?
1: Dan, you want me to jump in? I, I think... Yeah, you know, go for it. I'll jump in real quick on this. The, the words that we keep hearing, Doug, are front foot, energy, attacking... And I agree with this. I think we're going to see this straight off the get-go from Stephen Glass's side. Um, you've got a strange face on you, Doug. Are you surprised by this? Yeah, there
0: was some audio goofiness that just happened. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay.
1: I'll go back and I'll say that again just to make an easier cut for you. Um, the words we keep hearing in the press conferences are front foot, aggressive, attacking. And I think we'll see all that from Stephen Glass's side because he was that sort of player himself. And oftentimes, whether you look at Inter Milan under Antonio Conte now or Diego Simeone in his Atletico Madrid, you see teams that emulate the coach if they're doing a good job and their personality and their traits as a player and their philosophy on the game. And hopefully we see that with him. This was a player who, when he was playing, was, was signed by the great Kenny Daglish at Newcastle and went on to play under Sir Bobby Robson and had a chance to really learn from great managers like that. Uh, had a good career, was used to playing wide, swinging in crosses for a guy like Alan Shearer, the best Premier League goal scorer of all time. He's a very humble guy. He's 44 years of age, but he's had to work really hard, uh, whether it be as a youth coach in Charlotte or uh, back across with the Carolina Railhawks when he first moved back to America uh, for a second stint. I think he's earned his stripes, and now he gets a chance as an interim coach. And this is something that he will take on and try and earn this position long-term because uh, he's, he's an ambitious guy, but more importantly, what I expect from him is to develop one-on-one relationship with everybody. And he's already had individual, individual meetings with all the players. And I expect him to have much more personal touch with the guys than Frank DeBoer did.
2: Yeah, I I would probably echo a lot of that. I've had a couple interim coaches in, in, in my career and, you know, there's there's a there's a mixture of emotions, and it definitely differs player to player because some players would have been, you know, quote-unquote Frank the Board guys. Some players are looking for an opportunity. Some players are kind of stuck in the middle where they're either on a longer-term contract or, you know, they're they're club guys that aren't, aren't going anywhere. Um, but I would say that all of them now just want the best, and all of them know that, somewhat of a change is coming whether that is you're playing for your manager that's interim that will have that tag removed or you're playing for your job at the end of the year or you're playing for um the eyeballs that are going to be on you a- as you move to the next to the next location or you're playing for the eyeballs of the coach that is coming in and evaluating talent and evaluating style and evaluating play so um, you know, a lot of that is also players get get a little bit more of a, of a freedom because, you know, interim coaches, they, they're they kind of picking up the pieces in a lot of ways. And when you come in and pick up the pieces, it's difficult to, you know, impress upon a group, um, you know, the, the full style that you want. So you start to introduce ideas and you start to really just give players the freedom and the license to go and go and get back to enjoying the game. And I think that, you know, of the little things that I've heard from players um, just over the past few weeks, they all kind of point to that. And I would expect them to be, you know, emotionally engaged. I would expect them to, to play a little bit freer, to play a little bit more, like Kevin said on the front foot, which is you know an exciting brand that we've known Atlanta United to, to try and uh, try and possess. So I I think they're going to come out and and they're going to be fired up. It, It, it also seemed like the bubble was a little bit of a challenge for them. Um, and there's a whole different dynamic there. I think Some groups handled it really well. I don't know if Atlanta United was as prepared uh, to handle that dynamic as, as maybe some other groups that headed into it in, in a little bit of a different mindset. Um, so to be back in your own home, back at, at the training center, which they obviously know and love and, and to be walking back into Mercedes-Benz, where they've had an incredible amount of success. I think all of those things really lead to, I would expect, a pretty good performance tomorrow.
0: I think uh, Stephen Glass said yesterday, and Kevin can back me up on my paraphrasing, he wants an attitude of, why wait? Um, mm-hmm. Just go ahead and, and get on the front foot, try to get the, the goals quickly, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, it, I guess could kind of come across not as a, a, a criticism of DeBoer, but did kind of sum up the bore. Um, so th-
1: there's something really key here in all of that, Doug. When you say front foot, you need to be setting the agenda, especially at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But it's not just that. This team is set up, bar be the likes of a Jurgen Dam, who you look at and say that guy could be built for a counterattack. But when you look at some of the players that Atlanta United have, Pity Martinez, Ezequiel Barco, you bring in Kubo Torres, these are not players built to counterattack. These are not players built to be in a team that's going to sit off and then try and spring attacks. These are players built to be on the front foot and to be in possession of the football and to be making things happen. Would you agree with that, Dan? So when you talk about front foot, this is an Atlanta United team already set up to do that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I would to a degree. I think that um, Frank's style was a bit of more of the Dutch style, which is pragmatic possession and, and a good, sturdy, rigid setup. Um, Whereas I do think that I – don't, I, don't, I don't expect to see them full-on counterattack style, but I do expect them to be aggressive. And I do expect them to play through Ezekiel Barco and play through Pity Martinez and Kubo and, and, and these guys, Jurgen Dam, um, who, who can really expose players on the field. And I fully expect them to have quick combinations through the midfield to allow – you know, the Pities and and the Barcos to express themselves and to go forward and to go to goal and to do it, to do it quickly. So I I, I expect those transitional moments to be moments that, that Atlanta United looks to attack and looks to exploit.
0: I want to get more into the X's and O's of Saturday, but I also want to switch back to talk about your jobs and the challenges that uh, you're going to face both Saturday and for the away games uh, so how how will your jobs be different on Saturday with an empty stadium and and uh the next the road games uh, where I don't think y'all are gonna be on site. Is that is that correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. You know, we're afforded the luxury here, Doug, of having the players in the game inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium for our first broadcast. And then it becomes more challenging. I've called plenty of games at the Big Ten Network and then at be in sports off tube. So, you know, games that are in Spain. Uh, college games at the big 10 network and it's a challenge more so for dan than me because dan is watching jump in here dan if you like but you're you're watching a lot off the ball and you're you're looking for teams and trends and mm-hmm. whereas for me i'm I'm kind of focused more on the ball and the play that's happening so for dan this is far more of a challenge calling a game off tube i would say than me
2: yeah i would agree um i think that you know to to piggyback on what you said our, our first game being in mercedes Benz even though without fans it'll still be you know closer to to what we do on a normal basis. but then when you go into you know watching a game on screen it, it doesn't have the same feel um, so it, it's a challenge there, but it just goes back to you know you you probably will have to do a little bit more prep you probably have to do a little bit more of breaking down film from you know, from what those expectations are from tendencies um, in previous games and what this game looks like and what that will lead into the next one. I think we're going to get learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot from this team just in the in the first game back. Um, and then we'll learn, you know, we'll have the opportunity to really kind of see what, what Miami does and, and see what Orlando's done. Uh, you know, watching a, a lot of Orlando, obviously they were very successful in the, in the MLS's back tournament. They're, they're a completely different team too. Um, so – you know, the broadcast, um, I'm lucky enough to be partnered with, with a guy like Egan who just wakes up and, and exudes emotion and uh, energy. So it, it really won't be a, a challenge for him. But as you look at the X's and O's, you, you don't get to see the, the full picture. Um, so I, you see different things in a, in a game, though, off a of screen as well that, that we don't get to see being in the broadcast booth, uh, you know, 120 yards from the field either.
0: Will Fox Sports South uh, have any new technologies being used for this game? Some of the stuff that was tried out in Orlando.
1: You know, we actually have our call in about an hour from now, just okay. over an hour from now, to go through all the details. So I'm not sure exactly on that, but I know we will have the set, the desk upstairs in the broadcast booth. So with with limitations in play, being at the stadium, we're tier three from a safety protocol. So we've got to stay inside the booth at all mm-hmm. times um Jillian will be in the booth with us as well and she'll be hosting the pre and post as well as uh, several hits within the game um and an interview with I believe Darren at halftime so there's there 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 will be new dynamics to this I believe we're going to have plexiglass separating us on the actual set uh if if we can do that and that will be similar to the TNT setup for basketball you know so we can still be quite close to each other but we'll we'll be separated. You know, Dan will be, Dan will be looking at me through a piece of glass, but still his hands. no question about that.
0: So uh, switching back to kind of Atlanta United and, and the franchise and the state of the club, were either of you surprised by the mutual agreement uh, for DeBoer to, to leave the club?
2: Uh, I'll answer this one. Um, I, for me, I was not, um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that there was some real question marks heading into the offseason last year. Um, you know, Frank and, and the staff and the, and the team and the club had some real success, um, but I think that there was also some question marks about how the roster and how the players that were, were long-term figures we're going to fit into this style and, and did it work? And those are tough conversations to have because, you know, Frank, Frank came in and, and to his credit, took a team that was built by somebody else and went and won championships and went and won hardware. And it was not, and that was not an easy road for, for him or his staff um, to come in into a culture that was set and, and walk into a situation that, you know, after a championship, uh, there's not much that's wrong. Um, and, and he had to try and adjust some of the things to fit the way that he felt and saw those players, but also the way that he wanted to, to move the group forward, um, and still won, you know, won two trophies. So, um, but I also think that, you know, there was clear question marks and there was, you know, divisions. And I think, um, there, there was emotions involved that, you know, those players, um, had, had a lot and had put a lot of investment into the club and, and the club the same way had invested in players that I don't think saw eye to eye with, with Frank. And, and it was a, it was a struggle. And I think that they got through it and they persevered together credit to both sides. But I think there, there were real question marks heading into that off season and, and the decision ultimately gets made to continue on. Um But you could tell, and you could tell that at the, at that tournament that it, it was not, it was not going to work long-term. And, you know, it's also a bit unfortunate because if we look at our society and we look at being in the pandemic and and all of that that comes along with um, those question marks just in life and in general and having to kind of peel yourself out of bed or off the couch and go to work and and these guys um, heading into an environment that has question marks already in it in their minds, um, you know, players are often – and coaches as well are often – not really given the ability to be human beings um you're you know you're kind of superheroes in in a lot of ways, and you don't really have um chinks in the armor and the and and to be asked to we've all been asked really to be vulnerable human beings for the past eight months uh six months and and that's challenging and I think that that presented another another layer that was that was difficult for these guys to overcome um, so it it didn't didn't surprise me at all if uh, if uh if I was to be succinct with an answer.
1: You know, for me, Doug, I look at this and I think if you're an ambitious club, you make that move when Atlanta United did. If you're a club that are happy to just motor along in a year that's going to be remembered as being a disaster anyway, you could call it a bit of a wash year, twenty twenty, you don't make that change and you leave it as is. Atlanta United, that's not the identity of this team. Clearly things were not. If if anybody tries to mask what happened at the tournament, they're a liar. They're not telling the truth. The tournament did not go well from start to finish for Atlanta United. Zero goals scored, three losses. This is not the Atlanta United that we know and love. So for a change to be made, it did not surprise me in the slightest. It didn't surprise me that Atlanta United want to show ambition and want to go after the rest of the season and want to turn around the feeling and the sensation within the club, its players, its staff, and its supporters. What now strikes me, Doug, is the fact that we head in to this game tomorrow on Saturday. And it feels like another beginning, the dawn of a new era for Atlanta United. Miles Robinson said it perfectly yesterday on the call. He said, this feels like a third preseason of the year. And that really stood out to me. And now you bring in this fresh impetus with a new coach with a couple of new signings, a couple of new attacking pieces. Um, And I'm I'm, I'm excited for this, you know, And, and I think it was the right move. And I think tomorrow's performance, hopefully will show that it was the right move. And also going back to what Dan said, Frank DeBoer achieved a lot in Atlanta United in some ways. My issue was that sometimes when the team was up, the team was really up. When the team was down, the team was really down. And you really got that sense from the group covering the team that when, when the team lost, there was never a feeling of, okay, it's okay. We, we, we did, we're doing the right things. We're, we're moving on to the next game. And that's, that, that was concerning, I felt. But to Dan's point about the pandemic, you're talking about a coaching staff that have all their families overseas in a different country, Frank's wife and three daughters, in a different country that he can't go see at a time that's very difficult for any human being. And I say that as someone who you know, has a mother who you know, uh, w- w- would have one or two health issues that I would love to get across and see my family in Dublin, my parents in Dublin, Ireland, and I can't do that. So it's, it's, it's not easy. So for Frank and the coaching staff, they can go see the silver lining and take it in all of this, and uh, we move forward
0: yeah it's a uh, i don't i wasn't surprised either um i think i've shared with you kevin uh, on a in a previous conversation that to me the, this first uh, two segments of the season reminded me a lot of the first segment of last year's season when he was frank was trying this formation and it just didn't seem to work with the personnel and the soccer was dull and it was it was boring Um, and the players weren't enjoying themselves. But to his credit, Frank changed it um, around the time of that first Columbus game, and then things started to click a little bit. And he just, you know, didn't want to change it this time or just didn't get the chance to change it. I I think we would have probably seen that if Frank were still managing the team. We would see different formation, different tactics. Um, But I don't don't blame Darren. In fact, Darren, I think, should get – some credit for recognizing this is not working. It's not going to work long-term. Let's make a change now uh, before uh, things get too bad too quickly. Um, So switching to Saturday now, who do you think is the key player to not only help Atlanta United score its first goal in 395 minutes, but secure a valuable three points at home?
1: You want to take this one first then?
2: Uh, sure. And I, I don't know what the lineup is, but uh, what I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet on Kubo Torres. Um, I think that he's the most important piece and, and that shouldn't take away from anybody else on the field. Cause you, you could make an argument for a number of players, but the absence of Joseph has just not been filled yet. And if we're going to talk about, you know, linking all of the, the attacking weapons that, could be on the field all at the same time there has to be a unifying force and they hadn't really found that yet and and I think that Kubo I played against Kubo I've watched a lot of Kubo um I'm interested to see how he does but <clears throat> you know he's played at a high level um I think he he seems like he's got a little bit of uh you know, a chip on his shoulder in, in coming back into the league and, and having to kind of reprove himself. He's still young. He's still incredibly young to have gone through as much as he has. Um, and he can score goals. You know, he's cheeky. He can combine. He can play. And I feel like he is a, a good natural fit to a guy like Pitty um, and to a guy like Barco. Uh, and then we'll see how the rest of the pieces fit around him. But, but I think he is, for me, he's the linchpin.
0: I predicted that Torres was going to start uh, in a blog on Wednesday. Listening to Steven yesterday, I'm going to be a little bit surprised if he does because Steven kept mentioning fitness levels, fitness levels, fitness levels, and the uh-huh. games upcoming. I don't know what Kevin's impression of Steven's comments about Torres and Jurgen because he was asked a yeah. lot about both those guys yesterday.
1: Like, like I was, I have zero idea what Steven Glass yeah. is going to do with his, with his yeah. starting 11. Zero clue. You know, the player player I'm really looking at, to be honest, is P.T. Martinez. And he he alluded to the fact that he's watched back tape of P.T. Martinez at River Plate, trying to study what makes P.T. Martinez tick. This is an incredibly valuable player that Atlante United spend a lot lot of money on that I still think we've yet to see him at his very best for the team. And certainly consistently, we've seen flashes. Barco's a lot younger. P.T.'s done it. And we've mentioned it a million and one times. It's like you say P.T. Martinez, and it's always followed up with South American Player of the Year Mm -hmm. because he was... And he stood on that pedestal. And he, he is that good. So he's just got to get out now, empower P.T. Martinez to be the player he can be. I've watched and I've studied Nashville. I've watched the game back from February. I've watched both games against Dallas. This is a team that's nearly like a flashback to an older age. There, 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 there's not much imagination about Nashville. They've got a hardworking midfield with uh, Godoy and Dax McCarty. They have uh, very honest, hard-working wingers, the likes of Randall Leal, the Costa Rican, is going to go up and down all day. Gonna, he's a bruiser. He's going to work hard. Hany Mukhtar is their only one with a bit of ingenuity, I would think, further forward. And I just cannot see them being the team to, to play on the front foot and dominate the ball. I don't think that's going to happen. So if Nashville decide to have a little bit more of a low block in the game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, then you're looking at PT and Barco to be the ones to break those lines and create something. And this could be the moment for him to shine, Pitti Martinez. He arrived in off the back of an incredibly successful time with Tata Martino. Miguel Almiron leaves. Pitti is the Miguel replacement. That is not an easy thing to do. He moves after quite an emotional few months of the Copa Libertadores final and Madrid and everything else into Atlanta. Frank De Boer had struggles at the start. This has been a wild ride for this guy. Now he has a chance to work with the manager who's, who's got a much softer touch, I would say. Uh, much more of a personal touch maybe in Stephen Glass. And I wonder what the communication level is really like between the two and language barriers. And I, I, I hope that he can get the best tune out of PT Martinez.
0: That was my pick uh, on Jason's uh, radio show uh, before we got on this call. Um, because as, as you said, we have not seen the best of PT Martinez. Uh, he is a quality footballer. He showed that at River Plate. I think he showed that with some consistency, the final third, of last season and the first two league games this season I thought he played uh, similarly to last year but then in Orlando we kind of started to see a little bit of the pity from the first two thirds of last season the one that was taking some wild shots and and trying low percentage passes and I don't blame them I guess because they were trying to find a goal and trying to make something happen but I'm wondering if Steven has just told him just relax just play simply use your teammates around you and uh, so that's what that's who I'm curious to see on Saturday as well. Um, how about Darlington Agambee's goal last night? How good was that?
1: Best midfielder in the league. <laughs> you know, like, he really is. There's no question about it. The, the, the guy flicks it up for himself and has the audacity to go for it from distance and just bends it perfectly. I mean, it was, miraculous. it was a wonderful goal. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, uh, Dan, but this goal last night was just next level. Phenomenal from Darlington Nagby, a player who has, some have criticized over the past few weeks, was, was fairly absent in the game against Orlando, didn't do a whole lot of time last night. When he wants to turn it on, Nagby is next. I, I
2: saw the goal. Um, Darlington is, is the most talented midfielder in the league, and I think you're right. He, he can be caught at times to float a little bit in and out of games. Um, but he is, I mean, he's phenomenal. And and I also think that we probably mischaracterize his, um, I guess, ineffectiveness on games at times too, because he does make it look so effortless and the things that he does are so simple and, and you, you really can't get around them. You know, you never see him lose the ball. You never really see, um, him get pressured to the point of uh being just not an option um it might not be the option that you want because we see things like the goals last night where we're like oh my god you could do that 10 times out of 10 if you really wanted to um but he doesn't have those effects on every game but he is he's a he's a heck of a player
0: it was it was such a brave move the flick of the ball and the shot um, it, it's almost like it's something i guess that uh Porter has told him I want to see more of this out of you. And that was the perfect opportunity. It was fun.
2: Yeah. Well I think you're seeing a you're seeing a confident player and, and not just a confident player, but a, a comfortable player. And those are that's a that's mm-hmm. a different thing. Um you know, I think he's been yeah, he, I think he, he's he did his um his best in Atlanta. Um, but I think that this seemed like it was coming for a while. That's where he wanted to be. And, and he wanted to get back there. And I think he also wanted to be reunited with a coach that, you know, that he knows, uh, trusts him, uh, a hundred percent. And that feeling and being by your family and, and that feeling of being settled while also being able to do what you what you love um and play the game is is a a pretty special combination and he's got it right now
0: uh two more questions for y'all uh to wrap up this podcast you're looking at this block of schedule almost like it's a group stage thing again because it's all home and aways which team comes out of these next games with the most points do you think just from these games not overall
2: Uh, I'll, I'll jump into this one. I think it's going to be between, um, Atlanta and Orlando. I think Atlanta,
1: get off the fence, fence, man.
2: (laughs) Well, I know you're going to Homer Atlanta, so at least I'll, (laughs) I'll at least be somewhat realistic here. Um, Atlanta and Orlando, I think Orlando for me is playing the best football out of anybody in the group. Um, but they also have a bunch of rivalry, rivalry games, which are not easy. Um, but I also think, that I see a lot of upside and potential in the bump that you're going to get from Atlanta United. And uh, I, think it's going to be, I think it's going to be those two at the top with the other two uh, not really doing a whole heck of a lot.
1: Doug, I have not got a Scooby-Doo how to answer this question because it's so impressive. Uh, that's a,
2: oh, wow. That's an impressive answer, Egan.
1: You can quote me on that, yeah. I, 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 think, uh, I think we're going to see a much better Inter-Miami. Diego Alonso is a good coach. They've lost every game 1-0. They've been in every game, but they haven't made a tick further forward. You bring in a World Cup winner in Blaise Matuidi, uh, who, who will have more of an effect nearly, in my opinion, off the field as he does on. And you bring in a guy like Matuidi, who's just a, such a good guy from everything I've heard, such a winner. And he's, he's like your perfect number eight. Victor Io is not good enough, in my mind. He's not good enough for Major League Soccer. And he runs a lot, but he's not, as a footballer, he's no, like, he, he's just not the player that you're going to see for from Blaise Matuidi and Will Trapp in that midfield. You're going to have a much better combination. You're going to offer a little bit more space for the forward now for Pizarro. And if they can get a striker to work um, and bring someone in, that, that's a team that fascinates me at the minute. You're going to have their first home game ever uh, tomorrow against Orlando. So I, I I think that's going to be one that they'll go and win. And then this could open up this whole not that it's a group but you could open up the whole thing i find it really hard to predict but i think we're going to see a much better atlanta united as well so to answer your question i'll say i'll sit on the fence yeah that's it so
2: what are you saying egan you haven't said anything yet you said miami's going to be a better team and you want to sit on a fence so what worst, do we got
1: worst of the four is nashville
2: oh <laughs> easy okay so you get after, the lay up give us that. something of substance egan
1: if you're going on form alone right now, the top team is, is Orlando. Okay. The, the, the second team is Atlanta United. The third team is Inter-Miami. Fourth is Nashville.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And You must also point out that Inter-Miami has added Leandro Gonzalez Perez, who is going to add a bit of speed and an ability to turn defense into offense with one diagonal pass, uh, which yeah. Miami has not had uh, thus far
2: yeah um, what point can um, Blaze Matweedy play too because doesn't he have to he'll have to be quarantined before he can join the team?
1: Yeah, exactly, so I'm not sure I'm not sure when he'd be able to jump in.
0: Uh, last question for y'all. I asked you who is going to be the key player uh, for Stephen Glass in Saturday's game? Who do you think could be the most surprising player? Um, maybe a guy who didn't perform well in in Orlando or didn't get a lot of playing time in Orlando that could really be influential. Not only Saturday, but in these coming games.
1: You know, you know, I'm going to throw one out there that I would love to see have an influence. Just love. Just from a romantic side of things. Tyler Wolf. Really? Tyler Wolf is, is 17 years of age. Unbelievably talented players. Younger brother coming through. I've heard from some academy coaches that you could be even more excited by the younger player. He's, just, he's that talented as well. And uh, to see him break through ahead of his dad becoming a head coach with Austin next year and, and for him to become a player and a homegrown star for Atlanta United would be huge. But also knowing that Stephen Glass knows his potential and and knows all the academy staff so well, you could see him get some minutes. And and if he gets some minutes, he could really shock people as to, as to his talent level because I think he's got a lot going for him.
0: He looked good at IMG uh, when he was down there earlier this year watching him. Very fast, very physical. Um, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting pick. It's not one I would have thought you would have said, but that, that's interesting. Dan, how about you?
2: Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll reserve my comment on that. Um, I think I'm actually interested, really interested to see Miles Robinson play. Um, okay. You know, I think he's had a, a tough start to the year, and I think that, you know, what uh, what Kevin was talking about with having another preseason to come in, um, under a, a different coach, a, a different expectation. And um, I would have to think a little bit more of defensive responsibility where it will be more individual performance-based um, if they attack like they say they're going to attack, uh, which I think suits his style of game very well. Um, I, and, and he's got – you know, he's, he's, he's been a – he is a young player. And we haven't really seen a ton of him, but we've also – you know behind closed doors he's he's grown and he's developed uh as a young man for for another 8 months with really not too much spotlight on him um so I, I think that uh i'm i'm interested to see not just this game but this second half of the year on what miles robinson can do and and what type of player he is now uh because i think it's been it's been behind closed doors for a while now uh, I'm, I'm i'm intrigued
0: we kind it, tells of a lot.
1: it tells you a lot about our personalities as to who we pick. You know, I pick like <laughs> the attacking number 10 type player, you know, and Dan goes for the defender. You
0: guys kind of joke about when we interview Miles, you know, you're never going to get very much out of him, but he has seemed a much more confident guy um, this season in, in talking with the media. So um, I'm interested in seeing him also. I'm curious about the fullbacks. I'm, Really going to be curious to see who Steven picks in this first game. I think you're going to see a lot of rotation in these groups of games among those guys because I think he's going to want them bombing forward, a lot to be on the front foot. So I guess George Bello and Brooks Lennon are kind of that pairing. I'm going to be curious to see if they play together on opposite sides and, and just how they're going to be used. Um, okay, well, that's going to wrap up uh, this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. Kevin and Dan, what do you all have that you would like to promote? From your social media channels and work that you're doing,
1: well, I would love to promote my podcast, if possible, kicking off with Kevin Egan, and uh, you can subscribe on YouTube as well as all your favorite podcast platforms. The goal being to to have on inspirational stories from around the world that connect in some way to the beautiful game. So I've had from Christian Vieri, Robbie Keane, or to you know, Spencer in the gaming world, or I had an author on last week, and then you know I've got coming up. I've got some big names. From my I won't I won't, one of the top DJs in the world I have been on soon, as well as uh one of one of the famous boy bands ever. I have one of their singers on as well. All the connection to the game.
0: Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. I
2: I got nothing, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got some you know, I, I got some some boy band friends but i, I don't have anybody that I, i'm going to be promoting except for my good buddy kevin egan um i have listened to a, a lot of his podcasts and they are very good so i would uh i'd encourage everybody to, to take a peek there because it's uh it's a good listen
0: and who, who's going to win on sunday and why will it be byron munich
2: mm, mm, <laughs> it's going to be PSG actually okay uh, i think i think it's going to be a great game yeah, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Most, most Champions League finals, most finals in general, are, are pretty boring, pretty cagey, pretty tight. And I, don't, I think this is going to be open. I think it's going to be, it's, I think it's going to be an exciting final, which uh, I think has a lot of people looking forward to it.
1: I don't see another way. I think Dan's spot on. You've got Bayern's ridiculously... like. How would you feel playing in that back forward, Dan, for Bayern Munich, playing at the halfway line? Their, oh their defensive God. line is higher than any other team I've ever seen. And then you've got that defensive line against the most blistering attack we, you know, in Neymar, Di Maria, and certainly Kylian and Mbappe playing off the shoulder all the time because that's a muscular problem. It's going to
2: be a crazy cat and mouse. You're absolutely right. Love it. All
0: right, Atlanta United versus Nashville, 7 p.m. Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium.
1: Come on, Doug. Come on. The pregame show starts at 6:30. Come on. I
0: was getting to that. The pregame show at 6:30, Kevin, Dan.
1: On what, on what channel, Doug? Fox Sports South. Fox Sports Southeast, Doug. Come on.
0: (laughs) Is it Fox Sports Southeast, sir? I have lost track.
1: I need to correct. Atlanta Atlanta United put out an email saying Fox Sports South, but it's actually Fox Sports Southeast.
0: Then I apologize. Fox Sports Southeast. Fox Sports Sports South. Say it three times. Fox Sports Southeast. Excellent coverage by these guys, as always. Say rivalry
2: week, too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> rivalry, rivalry, week, rivalry. <laughs> Please find them, on, find them on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Say hello to Dan if he's out with his boy band friends uh, after the game. Um, and, thanks and, our for, man, uh, and our
2: manager, Doug Robertson. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll wear my gold LeMay jacket just so he's out a little bit. All right, guys. Thank you very much.
2: Doug, we y'all love you Doug.
0: We'll talk to you all later.
2: Take Not care, the <laughs>